All right. Let's open our Bibles to 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Now, today's lesson, as I said, is about the joy of the Lord. Um, I think joy is, is something that should characterize the Christian life. It is something that should be part of every Christian, the way they live, the way they view things. I mean, Philippians chapter 4, verse 4, Paul says, to rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, rejoice. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 16, we read that we are to rejoice evermore. So it's clear that we are to rejoice. It is clear that it is, not, it is, a, it is an expectation. It is, it is, um, I almost want to say it's a, it's a command that we have is to say we need to find joy. We need to live in God's joy. But as I say that, I, I also acknowledge that there are many people who are going through difficult things. There are many people who are struggling. There are many people who, who may be going through a season of trials or tribulations. And I'm not in any means trying to say that you should not go through those times or that you're somehow sinning if you're in a state where you're, not, you're finding it difficult to put a smile on your face. It's, it, that is not what I think the Bible classifies joy as. So I... I want to start off by saying that my heart in this message is not to rebuke anyone who is going through a season of mourning or whatever it is, but it is to encourage and it is to point all of us to the truth that we have that is written in God's Word regarding the subject of joy. Now, I want to point out something in the beginning, and this is 2 Corinthians chapter 6, 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Verse 4, Paul is speaking and he's talking about his ministry. In verse 4 he says, But in all things, 2 Corinthians 6, 4, But in all things, approving ourselves as the ministers of God, in much patience, in afflictions, in necessities and distresses. And he goes through this whole list of the, the things that characterize his ministry. And in verse 10 he says, As sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. So we are to be able to experience sorrow and joy at the same time. We should not say, I am now, a joyful, I'm now in a joyful season of my life and now I'm in a sorrowful season. We should be able to find joy in the midst of the sorrow. When, when Paul was speaking about the Jews in Romans chapter 9 and 10 and how he wished for them to be saved... He says there that he is continually sorrowful for them. So there is reason to have continuous sorrow, something that is that's tugging at your heart, something that is, that is sad. It, it, that's fine. And you have a care for the souls of people, whatever it is, that, that is real, that is life. But at the same time, we cannot let those things drag us down so much that we do not experience joy despite all of that. So, I would like to start off by, as I was working through the verses, and as I was working through the subject of joy, I tried to put together, a, a, I want to say, a biblical definition for what I think joy is. Now, this is not a verse. This is not, I think it's a culmination of 
versus experience and, and just thinking about the subject. And I want to say that joy is confident contentment that results from an increased faith and knowledge of God. Now, for some of you, that may be way too um, complicated for the definition of joy. And for some of you, you'll say that's way too limited. So I understand that there's more to it. But a confident contentment because of an increased faith and knowledge of God. And I think all of those things are critical to the subject of joy. You are confident that there's a confident contentment because you know who God is. There is there's contentment because you know what God is doing. You realize that He's busy with something and the trials or whatever it is that you're going through is not in vain. So there's confidence in who God is and that you cannot separate joy from God and we'll look at that in a moment. So let's get into the first point. You can page to 1 John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1. And the first thing I want to speak about is the exclusivity. The exclusivity. The exclusivity of true joy. What I mean by that is true joy is reserved for those who are saved. There is a joy that is from the world, and then there is a joy that stems from God. And you can find happiness, and you can find elements of joy, but I'm talking about a joy that sustains regardless of the circumstance. And that is reserved for those who are saved. In, you can keep, have a look at First John, but I want to read to you a verse in First Peter chapter 1, verse 8. It says, speaking about us, it says, Whom having not seen, having not seen Christ, ye love, in whom, though now ye see him not, yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. So in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 8, it says that, that we, ha- we rejoice with joy unspeakable because we know what the end of our faith is, and that is the salvation of our souls. So we, we see that it is exclusive to those who are saved. This joy that is unspeakable. Um, we also know that the, joy of the, the, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. So you cannot have the fruit of the Spirit if you do not have the Spirit in you working the fruit in your life. So once again, what is it exclusive to? It's exclusive to those who have the Spirit. Joy is one of the fruits of the Spirit. Now, in, in 1 John chapter 1, John gives us the reason why he wrote this letter. And in verse 3, 1 John 1 verse 3, it says, that which, you ha- that which we have seen and heard declare we unto you, that ye also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Now, these things I write unto you, that your joy may be full. You see, we're speaking about a full joy. We're speaking about this um, joy unspeakable that is reserved for those who are saved. In this verse, it's speaking about those who have, are in fellowship with God. That is his desire. I want you to be in fellowship 
with God as I am in fellowship with Him and truly our joy is with Christ. And then he says, I'm writing these things unto you that your joy may be full. It's needless to say, but you cannot have fellowship with God if you're not saved. So this is all conditioned, this joy is all conditioned on being found in Christ. Now I wonder how many people struggle to find joy in the Christian world or in the church because they are not actually serving Christ, but they are serving the religion. They are serving the system. Right? And that's not joy. The joy is conditioned on being found in Christ. So I, I, I want to say that maybe check yourself. First thing, am I saved? Could the lack of joy in my life be because I am just following the system? I am in church. Or do you truly have that root in you which enables you to have that joy which is unspeakable? Something else I, I find interesting is what Paul mentions in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He speaks about people who are above all men most miserable. And who are those people? The religious people who have forgotten, who have rejected, who have personally not seen or accepted the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So, if you are not a partaker of His resurrection, you are of all men most miserable, especially if you find yourself in a church, because you are trying to now live according to the, the, the principles, you are living according to all these things, but to absolutely no end goal because you are not found in Christ. So, we don't want to be of all men most miserable. We want to be saved. We want to have fellowship with God. And that is the, the origin. That is the origin of the joy of the Lord. And that's why I say you cannot separate it from the knowledge of God because it's exclusively fun. One thing is what suppresses joy. The first thing is sin. The first thing that suppresses your joy is sin. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 6, it says, If we say that we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Why is He writing this to believers? Verse 4. Because He wants their joy to be full. He wants their fellowship to be with God. And then He goes on right after saying that, He goes on to saying, walking in darkness, walking in light. If you walk in darkness, you are not of the light. You are not in that light. So you cannot be in fellowship with Him. So then he goes on to say, but if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us. So, sin is something that hinders us, but it is God is ready to forgive, to restore that fellowship, and to restore that joy. Have a look at Psalm chapter 51. Psalm 51. In Psalm 51, it's David's response to 
the sin that he committed with Bathsheba in Psalm 51 and verse 1 David cries and he says have mercy upon me O God according to thy loving kindness according to the multitude of thy tender mercies blot out my transgressions wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin for I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me so he acknowledges his sin he acknowledges that he is, his sin verse 4 was primarily against God and that it has broken the fellowship which he enjoyed before this time verse 10 he says create in me a clean heart O God and renew a right spirit within me cast me not away from thy presence and take not thy Holy Spirit from me restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and uphold me with thy free spirit I've circled the word presence and joy in my Bible because you cannot separate the presence of God and joy in, in, in Psalm 1611 let me read it to you it says Thou the path of life in thy presence is fullness of joy you cannot separate the presence of God with joy and that's why I'm saying sin is something that does separate you from God. It separates you from that fellowship. And without that restoration, without that forgiveness which God freely offers, you cannot be in fellowship and you cannot experience that joy. So that's one thing that, that suppresses us or suppresses true joy. Another thing that suppresses true joy is bad doctrine. Bad doctrine. Now, there were too many examples. I would, I would be able to do a whole sermon on that. But in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, Paul is speaking to these Thessalonian believers and he says, you shouldn't sorrow as those who do not have hope. That's, he's pointing out that the fact that you are potentially so, over, overly sorrowful is because of your improper understanding of what truly happens to those believers who have passed. So, a, a, a bad, a, a incorrect understanding or bad doctrine can result in overmuch sorrow, can result in a position where you don't, um, you don't properly understand what God actually says about something. Think about another example would be your doctrine of salvation. If you believe that you are not eternally secure and that every thing that you do potentially could alter that position in Christ, I think you would struggle to find joy because it, it's, it's not grace. It's based on your merit. Or what if you believe that salvation is not just spiritual healing but also physical healing and you get sick? Or you get saved and you don't get physically ill? Like, do you understand how bad doctrine would, would affect that joy? What about the understanding of God's will or His purpose for your life? What if you think that His purpose for your life is to give you your best life now? It doesn't work out that way. What if you think that His will for you is to be happy and have no trials? As soon as those things happen, you start questioning the character of God because your knowledge of God is falling short. 
And so your joy fades because you don't see God for who He is and you're imposing some standard to Him that He's never put there. What about another one? You don't know the purpose of trials. If you don't know what the purpose of trials is, it's very easy to lose joy when you're in one. You see, if you think, if you think that trials is always a punishment from God, you're going to be thinking that God is just ready to, to take out the rod at every moment. Think about Job. He went through a lot of trials. And he was a righteous man, Right? It wasn't conditioned on, it wasn't a punishment. What if you don't believe that God is in control of the bigger picture? If you don't know a verse like Romans 8.28, that all things work together for good, right? Not all things are good, but all things work together for good for those that love God and accord according to His purpose. If you love God, you have a purpose, you know what He has called you to, and you know that in that context of Romans 8, that the purpose is to conform you to the image of Christ. And so you start seeing that there is a purpose in the trial. So bad doctrine definitely has the capacity to steal your joy. So let's, let's put emphasis on making sure we understand these core things about the Christian life and what God has said. Because I think without that, we will definitely um, be very quick to lose that joy. Another thing you can um, um, page to 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6. Another thing that will steal your joy is hope. Misplaced hope. Now, or, or you could say misplaced focus. Now, I, I, two weeks ago, we, I did a lesson about money and we looked at this, this chapter and our approach to finances and all these things and we looked at, at something in, yeah, in verse 9. I just want to go through that again because I think this points to the misplaced hope that will steal your joy. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 9, it says, But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. Now, do you think hurtful lusts drowning and in destruction and perdition is a joyful experience? I don't think so. Verse 10 says, For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. You are piercing yourselves through with many sorrows through your desire to be rich at any cost, that covetousness. So, a misplaced hope, a, a misplaced focus to say that if I have this, if I get this amount, if I, then I'll be happy. That is misplaced hope. That is a sure way to pierce yourself with many sorrows and to lose out on the joy of the Lord. We have an example of, Sol of, of, of Solomon in, in, in Ecclesiastes chapter 2. In Ecclesiastes chapter 2 is is a great passage. Like, if you want to just recalibrate your thoughts, like, go read that passage, because it just speaks about how he gave himself over to everything that his heart desired. Everything. What he ate, what he listened to, what he saw, what he enjoyed, what he bought, what he... everything. At the end of it, he says, 
it is vanity and a vexation of the spirit. Like, he does say in that context that to enjoy the labor, that was, that was a, a joyful thing. It was good to enjoy the work of his hands. But at the end of it, having acquired all those things was a vexation of the spirit and vanity. So, do not misplace your hope. Do not place it in these things and think that having that will provide the joy because it surely will not. All right, James chapter 5. James chapter 5. The third thing I want us to look at is the purpose. What is the purpose? Purpose of joy. Now, you are the first purpose I want to give you is that it helps carry you through difficult times. It helps carry you through trials. That is, that is the perp- one of the purposes of joy is to get you through a difficult time. In um, Nehemiah 8 verse 10, it speaks about the joy of the Lord being your strength. So when, you're, when you find yourself being weakened and weak with the surroundings, you need to find strength somewhere, and you find that strength in God. You find it sorry, in the joy of the Lord. James chapter 5 James chapter 5, verse 11, says, Behold, we count them happy which endure. You have heard of the patience of Job. And he speaks about Job and how at the end of the day the Lord was merciful and pitiful on him. So we say we count them happy which endure. You see, it falls under that same heading of trials, but endurance through it, happiness is found in that, have a look at First Peter, just a few pages over. First Peter chapter three. First Peter three verse fourteen. It says, First Peter three fourteen. <clears throat> but, and if ye suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are ye, and be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled. Now, First Peter is written to believers who are being persecuted. That, that, that is what's happening here. And he says, if you suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are ye. Have a look at 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 14. 1 Peter 4, verse 14. It says, if you be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye, for the Spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On their part he is evil spoken of, but on your part he is glorified. Do you see how the trial which you're going through, and this is not the only place in Scripture where this is done, but the trial which you're going through is likened almost unto <laughs> something that you should count as a blessing. Something that you should find joy in because you see the bigger picture, and we'll get to that now. So we see that happiness or joy is found or is given to us to help us through these tough times. In, um, in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2 it says that we are looking unto Jesus the author and the finisher of our faith who for the joy set before him endured the cross despising the shame so we have an example in Jesus and that's the second thing I want to point out under the purposes is that it is to conform you to Christ how did Christ endure the trial he saw the joy before him. 
And so he endured. And you see how joy then is something that carried him through it. Joy was his compass. And if, if joy is your compass, if you say that, I know what God is doing. I see what God is going to work. I, I know Romans 8.28. I trust it. Then you start, you can go through that because the joy that is set before you. And the same that we have in Jesus. In, 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 in James, chapter, James chapter 1, we, a very familiar passage, but it speaks about the purpose of trial. And, and, and James goes as far as to say in James 1 verse 2, he says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. Count it joy. Consider it as joy. I like what someone said, that counting is, is like a financial term and it's to evaluate. So you are evaluating this thing, and you are finding that its value is something that should be joyous. So, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. And let patience have a perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. And that is where we want to be. We want to be there where we, we, we emulate that, that mind of Christ, how that He went through that trial and He found joy through that trial. So we want to be conformed to the image of Christ, and that is one of the, the purposes of joy through that. You can look at 1 Peter chapter um, 1. <clears throat> one more thing that I want to point out about the purposes of joy. 1 Peter chapter 1, and verse 6, it says, now, he's speaking about the fact that we have an inheritance, incorruptible, undefiled, preserved for us in heaven. We have this future. We have this hope. Verse 6 says, Wherein you greatly rejoice, through, um, though now for a season, if need be, you are in heaviness. Do you see he acknowledges the fact that you have a season of heaviness? Perfectly understandable. Note that it is a season. It says, Greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, you are in heaviness through manifold temptations. That the trial of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though tried in, with fire, speaking about your faith, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. So it's speaking about the trial of your faith and how that trial of faith, it is tried with fire, it may be found to praise. And that's why I'm saying that it is based on an increasing faith. It is something that is grounded in faith. And it is growing through um, the trials. And that trial works joy because you know it is growing to that end. And the last thing is, and this, I mean, we're not going to uh, turn to a verse, but the last thing that I think is a purpose of joy is it, 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 it points your focus upwards. It if, if you struggle in the circumstances that you're in, you will struggle to find joy necessarily around you. But you will find joy when you look to Christ. And so it forces you to set your affections on things above and not things on this earth. And so joy points you upwards. It increases your faith. It conforms you to the image of Christ. And it carries you through the tough times. And you combine these purposes, and what you find is an effective testimony 
that supports gospel preaching. If your life is characterized by murmuring and complaining, if your life is characterized by woe is me or whatever it is, preaching the gospel is, first of all, not going to be so effective, especially if people start knowing you. Um, so you want to have a testimony that, that I want to say creates an environment where gospel preaching is actually something that is attractive. Because look at the fruit. The fruit of the Spirit is joy. So you want, that to, you want to see that because it actually motivates. And then while I'm talking about gospel preaching, may I just add that if you are not speaking to people about their souls and about their salvation and about their growth in Christ, you are robbing yourself from a great source of joy. Being able to invest in people's lives spiritually is of far greater value than anything else. So I think we need to definitely emphasize that that is a great source of joy. Now, and, and this, these purposes, that, that's why I want confidence to come in, because you start seeing that what's happening here is not purposeless. And so you have confidence in what God is busy doing. I want to give you a list of things that you should, have, should be joyful for. You're saved. <laughs> You're saved. That is, that is something you can definitely be joyful about. People around you are being saved. And being discipled. And growing. And their children are growing up in homes where their parents weren't saved, but now they are saved and you have children growing up in homes that are saved. That is something to be joyful about. You have like-minded people around you who care about you spiritually and physically. Yesterday we had a parenting class. It was excellent class. But the people sitting in that room, knowing I have a room full of people who want to bring up their children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Like, that was such a joyful occasion. Because I have people who are like-minded and who want to say, we want to do this together. We want to serve God. We want to bring up our children. We want to rule our houses. We want all of this. That is a great source of joy. Another thing I think we should find joy in is the fact that we have a persecution-free Christianity. I don't think we realize. I've been speaking to Wenzel a bit, and we don't realize how good we have it. And to have a persecution-free Christianity is, 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 a, is, is not just, it's a gift. It is literally a gift to have that. Imagine if you could not speak to someone who is in a difficult situation without risking your life about the gospel. Go visit them in hospital. Whatever. You could, cannot do that. You cannot carry your Bible with you and go and tell someone or show someone something because it is a risk of your life. That is something we can be joyful about. You can boldly approach the throne of God and not just make your requests known to Him, but know that He cares and that he can do something about it. That is something we can be joyful about. Something else is that our future is secure, as secure as Christ's position at the right hand of the Father is. That is how secure your future position is. 
You have good gifts. You have health. You have a home. You have a job. You have a church. You have a place to sleep. Whatever. You have good gifts. And we know that every good gift comes down from above, from the Father of light. We know that that is a good gift from God. We know that even our trials have purpose. Not your life as a whole. Yes, your life as a whole has purpose. But now, even in the, the darkest times, it has purpose. So nothing, no, no minute, no second, nothing of your life is purposeless. Like that, that should give you joy. The reason you're still alive is because God is actually still... Because remember, He's not just the giver and the taker. He's the sustainer. So the reason you're still breathing and sitting here is because God can and wants to still do something with your life. That's something to be joyful about. And you have access to His Word and the proclamation of His Word. That is something we should find great joy in. I want to close with one of the definitions that I, I read about joy, and it's in the Webster's Dictionary, and I, I found it a very apt definition. It says that joy is a delight of the mind from the consideration of the present or assured approaching possession of good. Okay, it is a, It's something in the mind. It's something that you meditate on, something that you know. But it says it's a consideration on the present or future possession of good. A Christian has both. <laughs> We have a present possession of good. Where you're sitting right now is a present possession of good. The fact that you are saved now is a present possession of good. The fact that you have a Bible is a present, but you have hope. You have something beyond this grave, which is a future possession of good. As Paul says, we are already seated in heavenly places in Christ. You're already possessing it. You're waiting for that adoption of your body. So we, are, we, we have no reason in that context not to have this underlying um, um, depth of joy in our life. Now, joy does not mean you never mourn. Okay? But we mourn like those who have hope. Joy does not mean that everything is always great. But we have a great God with great promises whom we serve. Joy does not mean you're always jovial or, you know, I, I, when I see jovial, I think of this, I don't know, this little girl that's frolicking there in the, the plains of Switzerland or something, jovial all the time. I just gave you some insight into my mind. that. The <laughs> but it does mean that you can always find a reason to be joyous despite the fact that you're not frolicking in the plains <laughs> of Switzerland. <laughs> and you don't, certainly don't have to do things murmuring and disputing or complaining. So, keep the bigger picture in mind. And I really want to encourage you to surround yourself with people who, who, who keep the bigger picture in mind, who know God's promises. Because there are going to be times when you are weak and you need a brother who's strong. And then you know what, what's going to happen? That brother is going to be weak. 
and you're going to be strong. So you have to surround yourself with people who can comfort you with the truth, not with fluffy ideas, the truth. And that will strengthen you, and that will grow your joy. So, as Paul said, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice, because it's in the Lord, and the Lord never changes. And He's got purpose, and He's got a reason for everything that we go through. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank You that we could take a moment, Lord, to just spend time on the subject of joy. And Lord, I thank You that it is a gift. It's a fruit, Lord, that Your Spirit works in us. And Lord, I I thank You, Lord, because if it wasn't for that, we certainly would have no hope for a joy that sustains us through everything. Lord, I, I thank You for this church. I thank You for Your Word. I, I thank You for Your Son and the, the glorious gift that we have of, of eternity, of current salvation, of fellowship, of community. All these things, Lord, are gifts that You've given us. And I thank You so much that we have truly reason to always have joy in the Lord. Lord, I pray You please... Help us to think on these things, Lord. Direct our attention to you and we will never lack reason for joy. Thank you so much for this time that you've been with us and taught us something, Lord. Please um, dismiss us now and Lord, I also pray that you would give us ears to hear in the, in the hour to come. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.